0: I love the Hoover in the background. For like solid, solid twenty-five minutes.
1: Oh, love it. Fucking unread. Like <laughs> How Dean's mother drives her mad. <laughs> and why it was the inspiration for chapter two of the thesis. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and welcome to PhD Pending, the podcast for early career humanities scholars. Each episode, we'll discuss a different aspect of PhD life, sharing both the ups and downs so that all you other PhDs out there can see that you're not alone, and so that those of you considering a PhD can get an idea of what you're in for. I'm Jenny, I'm a 19th century British romanticist.
1: I'm Anna, and I research trauma in contemporary literature. I'm Aideen, and I research 19th century Irish women's fiction. And this is PhD Pending. In today's... So we are going to talk about the first six months of our PhDs, what we anticipated, what it was actually like, and what you can expect. As with all of our episodes, everyone's experience of a PhD is completely different, and in a similar way, everyone's expectations are different. However, we're hoping between the three of us that we can cover a few of the basics. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Okay, so Jenny, do you want to give us context about when you started your PhD and what you expected, specifically in terms of the first week or so.
2: All right, so for those of you who don't remember all the way back to our first episode, I actually started my PhD in January, when most people start theirs in September, with the start of the autumn semester or the first term, depending on where you're at. Um, So I came in at this really weird time. There weren't As far as I know, any other PhDs starting that January, there might have been, but none that I was aware of, at least. Um, And it was a really isolating time for me, to be honest. Um, I did not know our department very well, I did not know any of the other PhDs that were already in the department, so, like, my contact were a few... Contacts. Within the department were a few professors from my creative writing masters, who weren't really relevant to my research and my advisor Um, were the only people that I knew and my advisor and I were still relative strangers. Um, We had met maybe three times before I left Ireland in 2016 and emailed back and forth a bit while I was putting together my proposal and then met again when I got back in January 2017. So it was this weird isolation time period, and that first meeting in particular, um, it was awkward. We didn't know each other very well, um, my advisor has a very dry sense of humor, but can also be kind of soft-spoken, so, and I'm a loud, brash Texan, who also has a very dry sense of humor, so we had this, we have since gotten a really nice rapport, but at that time, it was this kind of stilted, Business relationship, if you will. I was not really sure of what all I could ask him, uh, how hands on he was going to be with my project, um, how enthusiastic he was about my project, to be honest, um, because I honestly didn't know. That was his big thing. um, uh, Something that we've kind of talked about talking about in this episode, wow, that's a weird way to phrase things, Uh, is expectations versus reality in that first six months. And His expectation for me in that first six months was to do all of the reading, Um, not necessarily to hammer out specific project points, but to get to know the people that I was researching. I'm researching Mary Shelley, which means that I also needed to be conversant in Percy Shelley and William Godwin and Lord Byron and Mary Wollstonecraft and all of these other people. So that was his big goal for me. So that was my first meeting, my first week, my first kind of brush with the PhD program was this really isolated time where I just delved into kind of the borderline, the foundational work of my research, of my of what would eventually become my PhD. Anne, you started just a few months after me. What was your experience coming to Cork and... Well, I had the normal starting time, which
0: for us is September, so with the new winter term um, I started. Uh, but our university actually has four starting times, so every three months um, people could start. Um, I started in September. Obviously for me it was moving to Ireland, moving to Cork and starting the programme all in one. So. Actually, the day I was meant to fly out to Cork, my flight got cancelled. That was the start of my PhD. My flight got cancelled <laughs> and I had to stay another night. Um, yeah, but other than that, I arrived here um, and I kind of took the same approach that I used for Bristol when I moved for my master's and that was just to immerse myself into whatever would come my way. So the first couple of days it's very much a blur. I can't remember much. It was still I try to juggle and to balance, essentially trying to start with research and having meetings and student registration and all of that. But at the same at the same time trying to learn about the city that I'm living in now and trying to connect to people. But I thought that was very difficult. So what I expected was that I would go in, that I would have a lot of guidance and that the project that was very vague would become super clear. So I had this strange vision in my head that as soon as I had my student card, I wouldn't know what my main argument and all the chapter arguments would be (laughs) for some reason. And that I would actually be able to work on my project, which didn't happen because our department Pushes us to do funding application, um, and obviously the first couple of weeks were very much occupied with that, and that's what I, that's what I didn't expect because at the time I didn't quite know the context of that funding and how important it was to the department and everything. But yeah, so that was my first kind of couple of days, very much a blur. What was it like for you, Adine? Well, I
1: started in September twenty seventeen as well. Um, and I had been there for my undergrad, so I knew the story, but I, it still wasn't what I expected. Um, Freshers' Week in my mind was always a thing, like wild and exciting, even though, you know, technically it's supposed to be for first years. but you know, there's always a real buzz on UC campus anyway. So in Freshers' Week, it's almost like it's a carnival. Um, there's loads of freebies, events, societies, you get to meet lots of people and, I was aware as a PhD student going in that that wasn't going to be the same type of experience. Um, But I did think that there would be some sort of an official registration event whereby you met all incoming PhDs from your specific college even, if not department. Uh, Now they did organize coffee mornings later, but there was no official event on the day when I collected my student card. And I found that quite isolating then from the beginning. I knew one person, uh, Nicholas, who was already doing a PhD, and if it hadn't have been for him, I wouldn't have known about anything. So, you know, even little things that seem inconsequential, such as that recruitment emails would come out for tutoring, and so that's how you get your teaching, so to keep an eye out and get in quick. That there was an office for us to use if we were teaching, that there was a group chat for social events and to stay in contact, um, that there would be postgrad modules, and I should look up what ones I want to do and plan for them ahead. Like, things like that. There was no vent for us in terms of, you know, telling us what to expect. Now, on the day I registered, because I was on a day off from work, my supervisors were great in that they met me on that day. So that kind of added an element of reality to, you know, that I am actually part of the college, even if nothing else was kind of done. But it is strange when you finally meet your supervisors in person. I think. For me anyway, I had talked a big game because you you need to. Um, but then you get into the meeting and you're almost like, oh dear, this is this is now and they'll catch yeah. me out, you know. It's like that instantaneous imposter syndrome. On that note, in terms of like how the work was planned, um, because the most intimidating part of starting the PhD and arguably continuing it, is that we don't know what we're doing. So How was the work set and what kind of goals did you plan and did you overshoot the mark, Jenny?
2: (laughs) Well, I think honestly, like, you just gave away a big part of the game is that coming into the PhD, we don't know what we're doing. Like, I wrote this proposal that I have just completely thrown out the window, essentially, looking at my final project. My thesis is almost done. We're all nearing the end of this project. Um... So that was the thing, getting, we write the proposal before we're experts in the field, in the topic, so we're not, we don't know what we're doing, um, in a lot of ways. Uh, we do, obviously, like, we're all very well-read, we're all literary scholars coming into this on some level, but we're baby
1: maybe- Are
2: we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Aideen, we are. I'll stand by that. You <laughs> too, Anne. Still standing by it. Uh, But we're baby literary scholars, like, we're just, we're toddlers, we're fumbling around, we don't know everything, but damn it if we're gonna try. Uh, So that is, that was the first six months for me, and my advisor's thing was that he didn't really want me writing anything in the first six months, because it was gonna be garbage, essentially, like that I was a toddler, that I did need to do the foundational work before I could start writing, before I could start getting into it. And that way, starting in January was really nice for me because the big funding application that Anne's talking about, that she got thrown into in 89, I assume you did too. Oh yeah, right off the bat <laughs> is in opens up in September, so I didn't have to worry about that for nine months, eight months um, before it came in. So I knew a little more about my project by the time I started the IRC application, which was still god awful and terrible, and it murdered me multiple times over. But uh, that was the first six months. It was doing the biographical reading on all of these characters that I will be weaving into my characters. Real people who had real lives, who all were born and died. Um, Not characters. (laughs) (laughs) Who have been woven into my thesis uh, since then. So that was the main goal, was becoming conversant in these people. Uh, That was a roller coaster at a lot of times. Uh, There was, Lord Byron wrote a memoir towards the end of his life, right before he goes off to Greece to die of malaria. Uh, He writes this memoir, and I read about it in one page, and I get really, really excited, and then three pages later realize that he died, like, or he died and his friends all burned it. And so no one has ever read the memoir. And it's really sad. And so sharing this with my advisor and him, like, nodding sagely along because he knew this all along. And I (laughs) was a scholar who did not know this, who got really excited about it, uh, was, like, a whole thing. This whole realization process. Uh, So that was it. It was partially the most beautiful part of my PhD, in a way, because I didn't know anything and so everything was an exciting new discovery. A lot of ways with my research and you've always been much more structured about your research than anything I've done how was your first
0: so I should preface this I said it before I have an MA in Victorian literature but my PhD project is very much contemporary and I decided to completely shift um, theories so um, essentially I'm working with trauma theory now but I never had a single lecture or seminar on trauma theory which meant, that um, I would have to, I had to teach myself a new theory, and new application of theory at the same time that I was, you know, analyzing texts and starting to properly research. So that was my big imposter syndrome, apart from the language imposter syndrome and the I don't belong here general imposter syndrome. Um, so I wasn't. I didn't have specific goals going in. I thought I would be writing sooner. But then again, the whole uh, big postgrad funding um, application that took up about two months full time work. Um, And I have strong thoughts and feelings if that was actually worth doing or not, Um, especially since we had to do it all again the following year. Um, But I'm sure there's reasoning um, in the department why it was necessary for us to, you know, jump through those hoops, even though most of us didn't get that funding. Um, But, you know, I have thoughts on that because it's not ideal when you start out thinking that you're going to work on your project, but then you're kind of forced into doing something else. I get the financial benefits. That's great. But just looking at the success rate, it's okay. well. 100%
1: Yeah. But 100% agree with you but then yeah. again
2: okay. maybe not like starting the research the yeah. funding application as soon as you yeah. start the
0: research and especially mm-hmm. when you're so that's it, when you're so early into the project you just don't know enough about it to write a strong funding application and I think you have two shots at doing this and one is just wasted and it's just wasted time and wasted motivation as well because you could spend it on your project instead of application but then again it's part of the phd experience to learn about funding applications and be able to handle that rejection at the same time so um having said that i didn't have specific goals in terms of what i wanted to do with my research um i'm a very structured person so i'm just like i want to know what i do when i do it And that didn't happen. I wanted to have everything planned out from day one to submission day three years later. And that didn't happen. And it took me a long time to actually accept that that's not going to happen. That I have to play it by ear. That everything will fall into place eventually. But that the bigger picture will shift and change. And that I cannot pinpoint it at that specific moment in time. So I didn't write anything until I'm going to say three months in. And even then, was very small chunks, so maybe 2,000 words, 3,000 words of very specific literature reviews, and the first writing that I, consistent writing that I actually did was the following summer, so about nine months later, that's when I actually started writing and analysing texts.
1: Yeah, what about you, Aideen? Yeah, I way overshot the mark in terms of like how much I thought I'd get done, Um. I was at the time and had planned. Yeah, because it, cause it was a special case for you. Yeah, right? cause I was and I had planned to continue working full time while also doing the PhD full time. And I think one of the first questions I was asked, which is a completely normal, reasonable question to ask, was what kind of completion time I was looking at. So my supervisors wanted to know my timeline. Um, And I, <laughs> I had the gumption to sit there and say three years and when they were like you know their response was quite reasonable it was okay that's a good timeline except you know when you're working full-time I mean you're not necessarily going to be able to expect to finish with a good quality thesis so maybe you could revise that date and see how you go and I was like I'll get it done in three years it's fine and just for context uh I'm now going into my fourth year and I have an end date inside, but it's not within the next twelve months, so which is absolutely fine. <laughs> I'm happy enough, and it's coming together a lot quicker now. um I did consistently work in those first six months, like in the evenings and weekends. um my advice within the actual first supervisor meeting um and I imagine it's case for all humanities based degrees was oh you are just read for the first year, just read, read, read as much as you can um and start yeah i hate that advice it's the worst (laughs) i love the reading it's the writing i hate. No, because the the thing
0: is some people don't read and then write up some people research and write at the same time and i am one of those people yeah
1: yeah i was so overwhelmed when i finished that year of reading i tell you (laughs) you know i i don't know if any of us still are emotionally ready to revisit the time of the irc funding forms but yeah i think that was so helpful in Mapping out what I could do with PhD, like certain opportunities curriculars, it got me planning conferences, which I'll come back to. Um, but yeah, 100% think you should have to fill out certain aspects of the form, but other than that, leave it, because that was four months where in the evenings and weekends instead of researching, I was primarily focusing on that form. Um, which by the way, I hadn't a hope in hell of getting it, and I knew that both times, and I still, you know, you kind of are like, oh, but if I didn't, I'd go, you know, I'd regret it. Yeah. But anyway, um. So I did. I read I read a lot once the IRC form was in. I made notes as I went. I submitted drafts here and there up until the six-month period. Now, most of it in the 1st it we'll say, January and February. Um, And my supervisors looked at it. We played around a lot with a lot of the methodology. It was useful in pointing out what wasn't working and what we weren't convinced by and kind of nuancing the argument a bit. But, I mean, none of that work... I'm particularly proud of now as such it's never wasted it's never wasted but I'm now I either completely scratched it when I came back to it with a level head two years in or I heavily adapted it (laughs) so you know um so that first six months I definitely didn't do as well as I thought I would have done I thought oh sure I'll have a chapter done by then (laughs) like no way um anyway I did end up giving up full-time work towards the end of the second year and things went up from there naturally. So just as a side note, if you're doing the same, but you can find other ways to make money, such as teaching, um, ways that particularly will benefit your PhD, or your future career, definitely go for it. Um, but anyway, within those first six months, naturally you have to do other work as well, whether it be teaching or conferences. And teaching is a f- is fun. I think like it's a lot of prep, it's a lot of marking, but it's fun, and students don't know you're not an expert yeah. yet conferences, whole different ball game. So Jenny, how did you go about planning, applying and presenting at conferences? Because it is something that we don't really get taught how to do. So how did you find that?
2: Really briefly, 2018 was like my year because I study Frankenstein and that was the bicentenary of Frankenstein's publication, original publication. So about August, I guess, of 2017, so six months or so after I'd started my PhD, seven months, eight months, I don't know what months are. Um, time is meaningless. I found this fabulous conference in February of 2018. Um, it was going to be in Venice. It was going to be entirely on Frankenstein's, the Frankenstein bicentenary, whatever, I don't know, hosted by University of Venice, which is essentially a series of palaces across the city. Beautiful. I said, that's it. I'm going to apply for that. So that gave me, A, a direction for my research. I had found this one kind of niche thing that I was like, okay, that's cool, I could do a really cool conference paper on that. That niche topic has since ballooned into an entire chapter of my thesis, which is fabulous, but finding that conference really early on in my research, particularly a really targeted conference towards my research, was very helpful, because that gave me a concrete goal to aim towards. The IRC is this big nebulous application that is for, like, essentially covers the entirety of your thesis topic. Tell us everything about your thesis in these 500-word chunks that are terrible. This conference, I could be like, okay, this one topic, this one book, this one argument. Um, So this really spear-pointed targeted um, conference paper. And as for researching conference locations, um, how to op- how to present at conferences, I had a little bit of practice with that from my undergrad years, so that was not natural to me. I don't know that anyone can naturally stand in front of a crowd and present on really intricate research, but it was something that I had a little more experience with, I think, than some PhDs. So. That came to me, and we'll, we'll have, we'll talk about conferences ad nauseum some other time, but 2018 being the year of Frankenstein conferences, so I could kind of stair-step my way through the year with all of these different events, was really helpful for me and giving me that practice and these different topics. I didn't want to present the same topic at each conference, so I could go, I'll present this at the conference in February, and I'll present this at the conference in October, and work my way through that way that helped me with progressing my research forward and with um, giving me just mental goals, mental milestones to work towards. Um, And how was your first conference experience? So my
0: first conference experience was actually way before I started the PhD. I went into the PhD and had presented at three conferences already and had had a book chapter down at that. (laughs) So that was me going into the PhD um my first phd conference was about three months in, two and a half months in i'd say and that was up in dublin so i traveled up um one thing that i will say i presented it was fine i don't really mind presenting um as i said i already had experience in it um and it was a very small conference and it was a postgrad conference so there's a difference between postgrad conferences that are Kind of just there for us early career scholars to come in and present and have kind of a non-competitive environment not like conferences are necessarily non-competitive or competitive but you know what i mean as opposed to the very big conferences the international ones as for example the one that you went to in venice jenny or you know we've all been to now it's just different when it's a big conference um so in that regard it was very small but I when I was at the conference, I massively struggled with my research identity because I come from a Victorian background and I was thrown into a contemporary Americanist um, conference because of my research, because I'm researching Columbine and school shootings and trauma and fiction. So naturally, I was grouped into the Americanist corner And that is not me. That is not what I do. I'm a Victorianist at heart. It's just that my one research project, which happens to be my PhD, is Americanist. So I very much felt A, out of place. B, like I didn't know anything about what people talked about. Because I didn't. It was not my research. It was not what I was doing. So I didn't know the ins and outs of American Literary studies, didn't know the ins and outs of American cultural studies, and that's something that you have to be prepared for, that not every conference that you attend will be mind-blowing, and I think that's the one thing that you kind of hope for when you go into a PhD, that when you go to conferences and you connect with people, that this is going to be this mind-blowing experience, and you're going to make so many nerdy friends, and sometimes that doesn't happen, and I think that's what I experienced in my first couple of months, that conferences can be very stressful when they're not exactly the topic that you're researching and it just adds to the anxiety of you know the social anxiety of going and meeting new people and then you know talking to them and networking and all of that so um that's quite difficult um same with the phd social it's it's this social anxiety that's just all-encompassing it's all under the umbrella of you're meeting new people you're meeting your PhD cohort you're meeting your research cohort in your county in your country uh, from different universities and it's just yeah to me that was a time of a lot of social anxiety a lot of being extrovert to cover up whatever was going on inside of me kind of Um, I don't know if that was the same for you Aideen
1: yeah, I think we've all been relatively the same boat. So in terms of, um, well, A, how quickly we did conferences, um, but also the kind of not trusting yourself in your area because it's kind of probably more niche than you would have ever done before. Um, and yeah, and also the social element. So as I said, my first semester was largely spent on the funding form. So the second semester, I had my first conference right at the end of the six months and obviously I was at the extreme extreme beginnings of my research and it like it 100% showed um I heard about the conference via our student email list and it was in a different university and I applied more so to practice how to actually construct an abstract how to actually apply um so I didn't expect to get it and I did so it was a complete baptism of fire and um you know I, it was a feminist based conference and I was going in to justify using Freud, so you can imagine <laughs> <laughs> the anxiety really easy of that, that is what you're saying yeah yeah um I was surprised that they like accepted me if I was them I'd have probably been like no absolutely not but they were they were great uh, everyone was nice um I honestly was terrified going into the conference and I'm not usually a shy person I don't know if you've noticed. Um, so <laughs> it was a good conference to start with. It was quite small. I think there was less than that, like 50 people in, in the room at any given time. Like there was more, but people were kind of in and out. Um, And they were very encouraging throughout. It was just very laid back. Um, and it was really well-organized as well, which helped. Um. And the people on my panel were brilliant. Like I was, and we were all all the first year PhDs were put in the same panel, so it was really nice. We were able to all kind of just nod to each other and support each other because we all had to sit at the top table facing the audience, and it was just oh, um. But I got called out at the end of my presentation, um, and it was rightly so. So basically, the writer I was studying is notoriously elusive. Like even when I was speaking to my supervisors about some of her stories, we're like, is that what happened, or is it something else? Because she's just <laughs> very vague. But it turned out the person sharing my panel was an expert on her and she did know oh, no. <laughs> what the ending was. And I had misinterpreted it and it basically undermined my entire oh, no. argument. Now, she was lovely about it. It was very much like like most of those small conferences where it's more kind of a communal effort, particularly with the new PhDs where it was, by the way, Dean, just to let you know, um, that part in the text to talk about is actually such and such mm so look, you know for a future but it completely undermined my whole argument just based upon this key scene so i was like going away just thinking 18 you eejit like now i think you mostly always come away from a conference buzzing anyway i do like regardless of what happens within the conference i'll always come away fairly buzzing like i think there's only once ever i was like is that
0: the is that the conference or the wine reception
1: oh they're probably linked <laughs> True. so that All might be why. That why the one I wasn't drinking at <laughs> I wasn't as excited about oh my god <laughs> I've been exposed um but yeah I think it's, it's just a really nice kind of a sense of purpose like you come out of it and you're like okay there is a reason why I'm sitting at home reading yeah. Do you know because you're not writing that fast realistically so when you go to a conference you kind of get to test yeah. it out um but also they're great for networking and not in the typical sense where I feel like because I had a job in an actual company for years, networking events that we were sent on was literally like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of crack. Whereas like it's more networking in, in kind of the friendly sense in that like next time I see you at the conference give me a message if you're coming to this one and I can meet you outside and we'll go in yeah. together. It was that kind of networking. And I have ran into people often that I met at that first conference yeah. <laughs> um, at other ones, which is nice. Um, but I do think a lot of us feel that way because as academics, we're kind of notoriously a bit awkward. And also as PhD students, we don't have lectures, we yeah. don't have seminars, so we don't have many opportunities to meet people. So on that note, like how did you find making friends? W- what worked and how did you kind of combat that loneliness and social anxiety? Um, so
0: I made a point of so our department has a communal PhD office where all of the postgrad tutors and PhDs work in one big room. And I made a point of whenever I was on campus, I'm gonna go in. It was so daunting because everyone knew each other, everyone was talking to each other mm-hmm. and Um, they were there for a long time. Most of them were finishing up. Um, Or that's at least what it seemed like to me. But I always made a point of going in and having a chat with them, with just being the newbie coming in asking how things are going or trying to get advice or not just that, just going in and talking about the weather, you know, just to make that connection. And I was very lucky that some of the PhDs that started before us um, reached out and then... You know, we had coffee and I felt a bit more connected then. And I think what also helped was that when we had our PhD track, at least in our university, we have to take postgraduate modules. So there is an element of like workshops to the first couple of months of our PhD uh, where you meet other PhD students from the faculty that are not necessarily in your department. And I made some connections there was quite helpful. It's the only helpful thing about those postgrad modules. Uh, I will say that. Um, <laughs> but other than that...
1: It... You're exposing everyone today, Anne.
0: <laughs> <laughs> On the road today. Anywho. <laughs> um, yeah, but I found it very hard um, to get over that social anxiety of actually walking into a room full of people who knew each other and who were already working with each other for years and years and just presenting myself, going like, hello, I'm the new one, and I'm also German and can someone be my friend, please? So, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie, I did rely on on my Spanish housemate, who was in a completely different area, doing an MA, you know, doing something else um, for the first couple of social events, and then I was very lucky that I met my partner pretty much week one that I was in Cork, um, so that came in kind of handy, but... Other than that, I found it quite difficult. And I also found it difficult to make friends at conferences because they were not in my area. So the first couple of conferences, what you just said, Aideen, that you came out buzzing and excited, didn't really happen for me. I questioned my place and where I was because I didn't know what these people were talking about. Because obviously it, that's not my background. So that was difficult. Yeah, yeah. Difficult for me in that sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the main thing was to like push myself to go into the office and talk to other PhDs. And then not to be afraid to ask for help. That's what I found. What about you, Jenny?
2: I did not know about the PhD social group until uh, almost the end of the year, towards September of that first year. Uh, I'm sure my advisor mentioned it sometime early on, and I just lost that. That fell out of the bucket, essentially. Uh, so. I didn't know that we had an office for a long time, which is ridiculous. Like, the office is on our hall. it's If you go far enough down our hall, it's kind of difficult to miss our office. But I did not know that we had this shared PhD office. Um, I didn't know who to go to to ask for a key card. We have to swipe to get into our office.
1: God, they're like gold dust. Mm -hmm. I literally caught Alison on her graduation day when she was full of Prosecco and was like, can I have that? She's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I went through three of
0: those key cards in the last three years. (laughs) I keep
2: losing them for some reason. I have one. I I still have my first one, but it is very, very battered. And if I was going to be here for another year, it might get replaced. Or I would attempt to replace it. More to the point, like, I didn't know any of the other PhDs, so... Going into the office, kind of like you, and forcing myself to go into the office. I'd been just working in the upper floors of our library, which is excellent in some ways, but also very, very isolating. Like, it was me and all the undergrads sitting in silent desks at the top of our silent library, working individually, not talking to anyone. Like, there were days when <laughs> I would say, excuse me, twice, and that was the extent of the conversation that I had from 9 a.m. until 5
1: p.m. And it was bad! I'm, I'm imagining you sitting across from the students that you're teaching writing yeah. their essays in the library and just like tapping it and being like, see you. Not at
2: that point. I had not started tutoring. It wasn't until I started tutoring that my advisor was like, oh, by the way, there's an office that you should be in. Or until I was signing up for tutoring. I was like, oh, really? That's cool.
0: Yeah, because I, I remember I remember meeting you at the, you know, the first tutorial meetings because we would have those departmental meetings where all of the tutors would come together. And um, we we'll would chat through what's going to come up and what to expect with the lecturers. So
2: that was kind of my first introduction to the other PhDs. And that would be a big thing that I would say. Always go looking for your fellow PhDs, particularly in your department. I mean, other PhDs in general are great, but the people in your department, are going to know your topic on some level, and you're going to be able to nerd out with them about it. Like, you wanna get excited about Shakespeare? I can get excited about Shakespeare with you all day long, and I haven't studied Shakespeare since undergrad. Like, that's, um, and I have friends who can get excited about Frankenstein with me, and it's vice versa, the same thing. So go looking for your fellow PhDs in your department. Because that is a really great social outlet, and it is nice to just have people who I don't have to start with the bare basics with when I want to talk about my topic. Or talk about literature in general. Or the weather. Or the weather. Or go talk about the weather. Talk about movies. Talk about bad TV shows. Um, And whatever terrible novel you're reading at that point. But yes, go find your fellow PhDs. There should, most universities, I think, would have some sort of a shared office, a shared study space, I'm fairly sure. So go hunt that out. Ask your advisor about it. Ask the head of your department, look for your PhD rep um, to go seek out, do not be afraid to seek out other friends. But um, how how's your finding friends experience?
1: Yeah, for myself I suppose it started with what I said earlier about um Nicholas Adam's group chat. Um but even then I was still terrified to go into the office. I was still like asking people were they sure I could come? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if if could like you know, if they were going to pop up like, Are you sure it's okay if I come? They'd be like, Yeah, it's like it's in the group chat, so it's an open invitation. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that time I was up on campus for the first six months and two years really, I was able to go to the shooter's office and prep my lessons, meet people for coffee. Um, and then if we were having a pizza and pints night, um, then I'd be able to know about it and go meet everyone. And obviously we're all a bit looser and a bit more chilled after a while. Um, the biggest way though, I think was the the postgrad modules, which as Anne said were great, <laughs> at least for <laughs> for meeting people. Um, For other PhD students as well, um, but also, I met uh, our friend Sarah, who I then latched onto for the foreseeable um, and just kind of dragged off her forever since. And I probably wouldn't have been as confident if I hadn't met Sarah in that setting because then I would felt far more comfortable going into the office because there was a seat beside her, or she'd text me and say, There's a seat free if you want to come in today, or you know, things like that. So, yeah, I think the workspace is the biggest aspect that I didn't expect. Like, I, I think that was far more useful. Obviously, I, I adore <laughs> the pub events. Um, yeah. But that was more useful than anything else, was just going to that workspace. Like, can't yeah. recommend it enough. Um, On that note, so we have a few recommendations there without meaning to really. But are there any other things, you know, three things you could do again? Would you do them again or would you do things differently in that first six months? in terms of work in terms of research teaching anything you know jenny do you have anything yourself that you think you'd definitely do again
2: the first one is never be afraid to ask your advisor like your advisor is based in the university and except in a few very specific instances like where your advisor just started the year before at your university they know the institution much much better than you they know the phd culture much more than you they will know where the PhD office or shared study space is. They will know if there are any PhD like social groups, that sort of thing. They'll be able to point you towards your PhD reps. So, and they're there for you. Like your advisor, their job is to advise you, whether it is in your research or in, if you have moved for your PhD, they're there to make sure that you are making that transition comfortably. So ask, do not be afraid to ask your advisor for help on that sort of thing. And do not be afraid to walk into the PhD office, into the shared study space, and ask about the weather, or about who's seen the latest, whatever movie it is, you know, when we can all go watch new movies in theaters again, um, or when the next pub crawl is, or whatever. Um, You have a right to be there. You are a PhD. You have a right to be social with the other PhDs in your department, in your university. Don't be afraid to take the time in your first six months, in your first year, you are at the very start of a very long process. Now, whether that long process is three years or four years, or in the case of a lot of American universities, five to six years, um, the PhD process is meant to be a marathon. It is okay if in the first six months you don't produce any significant writing, if you don't go to any conferences of note, if all you do is build your foundation, that's great, that is progress. we went to uh, one of our infamous uh, PhD events, uh, oh shoot, whatever they're called, the group classes. Uh, someone said- post hmm? modules? Yes, mo- modules. Word was escaping me. Lecturers said something like, if you don't do any tangible work during the day, if you don't write a single thing, then a day is wasted. And I think that's some of the worst advice that I've ever been getting, given, honestly. Because as an English literature person, like, there are days when all I do is put sticky notes in books. And that is the only work that will be done for 8 or 10 hours in a day, is reading. And that's fine. That is good. That is meaningful work for your PhD. And don't be afraid to say that that's what happened today. Today I read. Today I used an entire thing of sticky notes because I love sticky notes. That is fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's the small stuff. It's the small stuff that adds up
1: at the
2: end. Exactly. And do you have three things? I don't know if those were three things I wasn't counting.
1: It was, was. yeah. We did, uh, yeah. We we can all count three, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: So... I'm going to preface this by saying that I'm a very structured person. I like to know what's going to happen in the future. And the thought of not knowing um, and not having a structure gives me massive anxiety. Um, So for me, it was very difficult coming in and not knowing what I was doing and what the main argument of my entire project is and what all the mini arguments of my chapters are. Um, So my first... Kind of piece of advice would be to try and let that go and be okay with not knowing and, and trusting the process you need to trust the process that things will fall into place eventually you're not there to know everything right off the bat and then nothing else is going to change over the next three or four years you have to allow yourself to grow into the project with the project um that's my first point. And the other one or the second one for people who are starting out and are overwhelmed by, you know, the 80,000 words that they have to write, I would say start very small. Start with a tiny, tiny chunk of maybe a literature review to get into your theory, to get into your project. Because as I said, I had to switch theories. So I was educating myself as um, I I was writing my chapters and my literature reviews and I found that literature reviews really helped me to understand the subject matter for what I was actually doing and then I was able to apply it. So use whatever you're writing and the research you're doing in the first couple of months to educate yourself on what you're doing Um, and at the same time don't expect to write a lot. Again, if you're only doing, just what Jenny said, um, small bits in a day that don't seem like a lot, they will add up as long as you're continuously added. If you're doing a small thing every day, then you will be fine in the long run, although it might not seem like it. And I think that's very important to know. And then just the extra add-on, always go to all the socials the best piece of advice i remember the halloween do that we had in my first year that i was there and i actually i didn't go as a witch or anything but i did go as the irc form so i actually bought because that was the scariest thing at the time that i could think of so i got a white t-shirt and i actually hand painted the first page (laughs) of the funding application form onto that t-shirt perfect (laughs) <laughs> so that was that was kind of my way of connecting with other PhDs. Aren't we all scared of the ERC funding application? That that was the night after submission, so we were all still still traumatized in the highest degree.
1: Yeah, I I went as my thesis deadline, which was <laughs> I think it was the year 2078. I think is
0: <laughs> And what about you, Adeen? What are your three things? Okay,
1: so first, I would probably have been smarter about my working hours and not PhD, but, um, you know, part-time, full-time work outside of campus, because I didn't realise that, you know, we got offered tutorial hours for our department for the School of English. And I thought that was only teaching opportunities that would be available until we were qualified so I didn't look further field and then it was only the end of my second year Keira in our office told me about skill centre and that you know you could teach there in general academic skills and workshops and writing and proofreading and editing and all those kind of things and not only has that been helpful for my own work but it also meant that I had additional hours that I could then quit my other job because for three hours I worked as a barista I could work one hour on campus in a classroom for the same money so I think I would just have been smarter that way about picking my hours and how much I needed to work and secondly I suppose talking of work is the workspace I don't think I can stress enough how important it is to be working in that kind of office environment and I don't think it's because we need that push to work because I think everyone in the PhD is kind of suffering from like distressing (laughs) levels of imposter syndrome so you need it's not that you need someone to make you do the work it's that you need someone to make you stop so for example if I went into the office nine to five if I was still sitting at the desk at two o'clock someone would turn around and go come on we're going for a walk or come on we're going for coffee what are you doing you know and whereas if I was working at home I could work till four in the morning and I mean what kind of quality work are you really going to be producing at that hour So I think that kind of accountability to take a break is important and that PhD workspace does that. Uh, Lastly, I think it's extremely important to not worry about what everyone else is doing. And I really wish I'd realised that earlier on. I spent so much of the first year and a half, two years, feeling like I wasn't doing anything so I was trying to do too much extracurricular activities rather than just focusing on my thesis because I was too worried about this person had a publication this one has done you know three extra conferences than I've done this year so obviously I'm behind like that kind of thinking is unhealthy your PhD will be done when it's done there is no point putting a timeline on it if you're not enjoying it and there is no point trying to do all these extra things if it's to the detriment of your thesis So I think I wish I had realised earlier on that it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. Comparison is a thief of joy. So I wish I had realised that earlier on. And that's probably a general life lesson I wish I'd realised earlier on as well. That, you know, you don't need to worry about what anyone else is doing. Just put your head down and you'll enjoy your own a lot better. With that said, I think we will leave it there for today. And we hope you enjoyed those suggestions and find them useful or can empathise with them. Our next episode will be our season one finale, and we will be focusing on how to fund yourself as a PhD student when you are unfunded.
0: This episode of PhD Pending was written and produced by Aideen Regan, Jennifer DeBee, and me, Anna Marla. Post-production support by Jerome Kelleher. Artwork by Neve D. Get in contact with PhD Pending on Twitter at phdpendingpod or via email under phdpendingpod at gmail.com.